actually what our bigger mission is, which is to create a fitter planet. And if you think about what creating a fitter planet actually means, it's really about healthy people, healthy planet. And behind that, you need a really successful business to enable that. And I think businesses that can perform and drive real purpose in that space will be businesses that have a long-term successful future. And I think if you think about innovation, you know, one of the things that's most exciting, or I get most excited about with this business is, yes, we have 50 years history and heritage, but we're also really well-placed right now to shape the future of the industry and to be a part of that in a really positive way. Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding. And you're listening to DSR Branding Presents. Join me as I interview brilliant business leaders on branding, marketing, design, and good business principles. These are people who think differently and have commercialized their creativity to do something remarkable. This episode is on creating a fitter planet with Clive Ormerod. Clive is the CEO of Les Mills, a global fitness brand famous for their group fitness classes like Body Pump, Body Combat, and Body Attack. Their workouts are licensed in 20,000 clubs worldwide, with a team of 140,000 instructors delivering group fitness classes to over 6 million people a week. Before joining Les Mills, Clive ran his own retail business. He worked across Europe with Nike and worked with one of New Zealand's largest companies, Spark. We discuss his favourite brand, working with Nike, stepping up from Chief Marketing Officer to CEO at Les Mills, and how they've adapted their business through COVID-19. Clive has a deep understanding of his personal purpose and how that aligns to the work he does. He explains how he's developed and articulated this purpose on a page, which I really enjoyed learning about. There are plenty of great takeaways about building a global brand and leading and inspiring people to achieve great work. I hope you enjoy this episode. Clive, thanks so much for coming on the show, mate. No problems, Dan. Really looking forward to it. Thank you. Mate, we kick things off the same way with a simple icebreaker. So what's your favorite brand and why? So beyond Liz Mills, obviously, because uh, I'm <laughs> loving being a of part course, of this yeah. brand. And, and I do think that we have massive potential to grow into one of the biggest fitness brands in the world. But I think beyond Liz Mills, I'd have to say Nike. I mean, I worked at Nike for nine years and I was working as a part of the brand selling product before that. So I've been in and around Nike for over 20 years. And I'd have to say that that would be my most favorite brand on so many levels. You know, I think because of the connection to sport, I just love sport and being in and around that brand and working for that brand was just absolutely amazing. But I think specifically, you know, the connection to culture. Yes. That brand's being able to drive and really foster and curate and then the innovation and the creativity that it brings to its thinking, not just in product, but its communication and how it looks to connect with communities. It's a, it's a brand I just really love, you know, and um, personally have been really closely associated to it for quite some time. How did you get your start in the industry? Yeah, it was when I came out of university, I was working part-time in a retail store selling sportswear and um, at the time we had a couple stores just in Auckland and um, I always had this ambition that I wanted to own my own business and I was in and around entrepreneurial thinking growing up my, my folks had their own businesses and we then moved to New Zealand so that sort of went a different direction but when I was working in the sports store the business had ambitions to grow and I remember talking to the owner at the time and said, hey, I want to have my own business. I want to be involved in something like this. And 
I got involved and over the next nine years, we opened an additional six stores, Nike stores, selling wow. Nike only product here in New Zealand. We were the specialist dealer. And then we also got involved in some streetwear stores, you know, selling other brands and other streetwear culture type product. And um, because of that, I was in and around Nike for such a long time. So retail was where I started associated closely with that brand. But retail yeah. and marketing was something that I've always just been really excited about. You know, I think retail is awesome in that you're dealing with consumers and customers every single day. So that really was my first step into having a connection with that brand and also my first step into marketing in some form. Yeah, that's cool. And you moved on to, to Nike in London, is that right? Yep, yep. Yeah, we uh, decided at the time, my girlfriend and I, that we wanted to go and live overseas for a while. And um, obviously, I'd, I was born and grew up in Africa and moved to New Zealand lived here for 12 years and then we went to the UK and um, through the connections that I had at Nike I got a job in the UK team working for Nike based out of London and then for the next nine years did various roles associated in and around the UK but also across Europe working for Nike and it was just an amazing experience you know you just can't beat it on the other side of the world working for such an amazing brand in a industry like sport which is something I'm just passionate about. So it was an amazing journey and um, awesome opportunity to learn along the road. Were there any sports in particular that, um, that you really worked closely with over there? Yeah, probably the biggest that I worked very closely with was football, soccer. Yeah. And um, I've never really been a massive football, soccer fan. I was, always grew up playing rugby in South Africa, playing rugby and in New Zealand playing rugby. But being in and around teams like Man United or Arsenal, Wow. We teams that we sponsored at the time and then Man City and doing a lot of marketing specific campaigns with those brands alongside those teams was just absolutely awesome. And I did that for quite a long time, you know, across various roles, like I worked in retail marketing roles initially, and then I moved into more brand management and brand director type roles. And at Nike, if you're able to drive good outcomes and you're able to help bring people with you, the opportunities are just huge. You know, mm. a brand like that, that is really ambitious, really, really ambitious in terms of growth aspirations and the things that it wants to achieve within customer groups. You know, if you can help play a part in that and drive some really strong outcomes, you can achieve some really exciting things. And how do you think your background in retail uh, back in New Zealand sort of did it did it provide you with a bit of a unique advantage of understanding maybe what the customers felt about the brand uh, sort of being I guess being sort of on the front line? Do you think that that helped in any way in in your sort of marketing experience? Yeah, I think the thing that helped, whether it was retail or just the fact that I was involved in my own businesses beforehand, you know, you really bring this owner's mindset to then what you're doing when you're part of a bigger corporate. And I think when you're dealing with customers or with retail customers day to day, which is what I was doing initially, when I joined into that initial retail marketing role, you have a bit of a connection in terms of understanding their needs, understanding their customers' needs, and probably being a little bit more on the same page. So you're able to drive work and outputs that are really aligned to their objectives. And collectively, you're hopefully bringing together a great brand in Nike, their business, and you're meeting in the middle and you're really working out some exciting work that you can do together. Yeah, that's cool. And how, how strict are Nike with sort of the content that goes to market? Like, you know, they, they do have such a renowned brand and such a, you know, they're such a leader in that space. 
Are they quite strict in, in what goes out, what gets published? Yeah, really, really strong in terms of making sure that it meets brand guidelines and that there's a strong link back to clear objectives that you want to achieve with that piece of content. So, you know, it's like any business. You've got stakeholders that you need to bring with you and there's a strong amount that goes into the plan and the strategy up front. So any work isn't just something that's dreamt up overnight and there's a lot of people involved at the right levels to make sure that you get to the end and hopefully have a really strong piece of work. And I think it's something that I learned a lot through my time at Nike was how to bring people with you. You know, in a business like that where you're dealing in a local team, but also most likely into a global team as well, and you might be working in football or you might be working in running, there are a lot of people that are wanting to drive specific outcomes and your ability to bring those people with you and making sure everyone's on the same page and happy with the outcome you're going to land in terms of an awesome piece of work that just really inspires customers, inspires community, doesn't just happen. You've got to be really deliberate about it. Yeah. So I think that's something that I've learned is like how you bring stakeholders with you, how you manage different customer groups, and ultimately try not to compromise the work. Yeah. And is there any project or initiative that stands out over your time at Nike that, that you could point us to um, as something that you're oh, really proud of? There was a lot. You know, I think one of the ones I enjoyed the most was a Champions League final between Man United and Barcelona. <laughs> and it was in, ended up being in London. So I was a brand director for football for the UK at the time. And myself and the team were responsible for that activation. So it was played at Wembley. We had two awesome teams, both obviously Nike sponsored, and we had to put together a campaign that we were able to take to market in the weeks before. Really a brand campaign that brought focus and association to, you know, us being in that moment and really yeah. shining a light on just the power of sport, the power of football. And um, it was just fantastic. You know, we did some amazing things, just really tactical things like projecting onto Marble Arch and driving some awesome creative and social campaigns around some of the individual players at the time. And just for me personally, you know, being able to be alongside all of those players through a photo shoot in the week before was just a real special moment. Were there any players that you had to, like, that were really great to work with or were there any players that um, maybe were more challenging? You don't have to name names or anything oh, like they're that. they're so professional, you yeah. know, like they really are. It's They do it all day long. I yeah. think what you end up... What you end up getting really clear on, and we used to work with all those players because all the Nike teams that were um, sponsored by us, you know, we had four or five at the time when I was in that role. You know, we used to have to do annual photo shoots with them for new kit launches. And, you know, the work that goes in beforehand to get five or ten minutes with a player, it's really got to work like clockwork. Mm. And you've just got to be absolutely dialed. And, you know, some players are keen to have a bit of a laugh and some less so. And most often the players are awesome. It's actually just their management team that are a little bit more hard work. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And so, Clive, moving on from Nike, you came or you returned back to NZ. Can you tell me a bit about the transition or leaving the UK and starting back again in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the thing for me is, you know, at some point through my career at Nike, you know, my mindset shifted from being focused solely on my functional role to becoming a little bit more clear on actually what is my personal purpose longer term and what gets me out of bed. So what yeah. I mean by that is, you know, quite often initially in my career, I was like, what's the next job? What's the next role? How can I work hard to progress and get more learning in this functional space? 
And then at some point, you know, you need to get clear on actually what gets you out of bed and what's most important for you. And at Nike, we were encouraged and put through different programs that helped us think and take some time out to do some work in the space. And for me, I started to develop what I would call my personal purpose, you know, which is really a plan on a page personally, but very much looks at my life and the things I want to achieve within it that then span across the functional stuff that also might come to life in a professional environment. Yeah. And for me, the thing that's most important is helping people achieve their dreams and aspirations. So if someone wants to say to me, hey, what gets you out of bed? My personal purpose is about leading and inspiring people to achieve great things and to help people achieve things that they don't necessarily think they could achieve today or bringing a team together to go above and beyond and actually achieve some amazing outcomes. And when we decided to come back to New Zealand, you know, I was pretty clear in my mind that for a few years at that point, I'd started to make decisions that were really lined up to this personal purpose. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to be doing things that give you joy or help you feel fulfilled, you're probably going to be better at them and you're going to be better for it. Yeah. And there were two important things that I wanted to make sure that the move back to New Zealand and whatever career role I fell into or went into was aligned to. And the, the two things was I wanted to work for a New Zealand business. And yep. why that was important was, you know, New Zealand is my home and I wanted to make sure that the business I was involved in was positively contributing to New Zealand and the economy and the people that we worked with. And then the second thing was I wanted to go into a business where I could build and shape a team. And the reason for that is my personal purpose is about helping inspire and leading people. So that part of the role and the responsibility was and is really important for me. And I make most of my decisions against those filters. So when we came back to New Zealand, there were a few opportunities and I ended up taking what was just an amazing one at Spark, which Spark is a New Zealand telecommunication company or digital services company. And it's gone through so much change over the last five years. You know, it's transitioned from being an old school telco into a digital services company and the mindset and the shift in terms of the services and the product that you've got to bring to market. So I ended up going into Spark and being the GM of customer and marketing and leading a team there. And it was just amazing. You know, I, I just loved the people, loved the team, loved the work we were able to do. And when you're one of New Zealand's biggest businesses, which is what Spark is, your ability to influence people at scale across New Zealand was just really exciting. Yeah. But what I found after being there two and a half, three years was while I loved the team and I very much loved the work that we were doing, the thing that I realized was missing from really helping me feel fulfilled was being in an industry that I felt really deeply passionate about. And when you work for a business, a brand such as Nike, in an industry that you are passionate about, you just know what that feels like. Mm. So I guess for me, when I then moved and joined and came to Les Mills, it was off the back of wanting to get back into an industry and a business that was closer aligned to my passion. And uh, that's ended up how I went from Spark and then ended up at Les Mills. That's cool. And back to the, the personal purpose, can you share what's, uh, yeah. what sort of things are on that page? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's, it's developed over time. You know, it started off as a single paragraph probably about 10 years ago now, and now it's a plan on a page that has six or seven clear areas. You know, the first is what's your one word equity? 
Mm. So what is the one word if you wanted to talk to people that you really wanted to be known by, or at least people go, yeah, that's what best describes you or set the intent on how you want to be described. So for me, it's about transformation. So my one word equity is transformer. That's like cool. I really would love to transform people and businesses from good to great. That's awesome. So that's sort of the, the one word that captures my intent. Yeah. Then there's a piece in there that talks about your personal purpose. Like what is it? And mine is leading and inspiring people to do great things. Uh, there's a section in there that talks about when are you at your best. And I think that's really important because when you're at your best, there'll be some clear things that have to go on to help you do that. Mm. And if you can get clear on what those five or six things are, you can then be deliberate about putting yourself into that position more often than not so that you are at your best more often than not. Because I think what I found over the years, it doesn't just happen by chance. Yeah. And I think if you look to professional teams or professional athletes, you know, they are really deliberate about performing to their best and they train hard and they get themselves ready for that moment. And I think in life and in business, it's the same thing. If you're clear on when you're at your best and you put yourself into that environment more often than not, you're going to be a better person for it. Yeah. So that's an important section in there. Yeah. And um, there's a section in there about things that you would never compromise on. But, you know, what, what are the things, whether it's values, morals, or beyond that, that is important that you would never compromise on? And how can you get clear on what those are? There's a section that talks about your dream. Like, what is your big dream? What is your big ambitious dream? And then some, some goals. What are the goals, the tactical things that maybe you want to achieve? And what I found with this personal purpose, this plan on a page is I probably update it every six months, sometimes maybe less frequently. Yeah. But it is something that just becomes this living document against which you look to make decisions and helps you just really stay true to the things that are important for you. But most importantly, helps you hopefully show up at your best more often than not. I love that. And where does it, where does it live? Is it, is it written? Is it, um, is it typed up and living in a document? It's typed. Yep. It's typed, but it's just like it just lives on my phone, you know, in my in my in my PDF documents, and I and I can access it any time if I'm talking to people. I, yeah. I share it openly with people because if you think back to my personal purpose about trying to lead and inspire people, you know, being able to share and give some direction like that, and being able to help people start to think about this bigger ambition of, hey, what what is most important to you? Like, what helps you feel and get fulfilled? Mm. What are the things that are going to help you actually show up great today? And yeah. then reinvent yourself for tomorrow and the day after that. So, yeah, I keep it on me so that I can share it and use it and it becomes something that I try and drive and make decisions by. That's great. And, and tell me, um, what are the things that make you at your best? Um, it's early in the morning. I've yep. been for a run. Yep. I'm working as a part of a team on something that's big and therefore I'm out of my comfort zone with expectations to perform. Yeah, that's great. Love that. And, and, and like, I feel really clear on those things. And it's funny because off the back of it, when you're not feeling great, uh, you go back to it. And it's like, geez, have I, have I run this morning? Is it mm. early in the day? Like, if I've got a big meeting, let's make sure it's earlier in the day because I know I show up better at that time. Or am I working as part of a team here? Because if I'm on my own too long, I really lack that motivation and inspiration from others. And if I'm sort of just cruising, because 
things are going well and easy, like how do I actually spice it up? How do I put more pressure on myself so that the expectation is lifted? Yeah. Because while that might feel uncomfortable, I also know that I can lift my performance as a result. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I really like that. So moving on from Spark, so you left Spark to join Les Mills. What were the factors there that made that decision? Well, I really just that key thing I mentioned, which was wanting to get back into an industry that was closer aligned to my passion. Yeah. You know, back back into an industry closer to sport, you know, fitness is a big part of my life. Like I train and work out because I know I'm better for it. And I think everyone should be because it is such an important thing to help people with their physical and mental well-being. So getting back into an industry where that is what we do in a business where that is what we do was something that was an important driver for me. The other thing that if you think about those other filters of I wanted to be a part of a New Zealand business and I want to be in a business where I can help build and shape the team, the same opportunities were here at Les Mills because while we're an international business, our spiritual home is New Zealand. You know, yeah. This is where we're based. This is where our headquarters are. So New Zealand is an important part of how the business shows up. And then in the role that I'm in now, but any role, the role I came into, which was the CMO role at the time, you know, you've got such an awesome opportunity to inspire people and to help them get clear on how do they become better marketing professionals or how do they become just better individuals? Yeah. And can you give us a bit of background on Les Mills? Because, I mean, for people in New Zealand, they probably have a great appreciation and understanding of the brand and the history. Um, and then the people in the community, you know, it's, it's such a revered brand. Uh, but people maybe outside who haven't probably come across the product or the training programs and um, I guess the brand as much. Can you give us a brief history into the brand? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're a world-leading fitness brand and we're based in New Zealand and we have over 50 years history and heritage. And what's most exciting, I think, about our brand and our business is that we can also be a part of the next 50 years because we've got innovative products that will help us shape that future. So Les Mills is a business that was founded in New Zealand. We put together group exercise, workouts, choreographed to music. We sell those to customers around the world. Specifically, our core business is focused on clubs, so gyms, where we sell our programs into clubs and they use them to engage and retain members. And we also, therefore, have this instructor network off the back of that, instructors that sell our product, uh, that teach our products, that learn and teach our products around the world. And then most recently, over the last five years, we've also moved into the direct-to-consumer business with a, a, a consumer app called Les Mills On Demand, which is very much about that direct-to-consumer relationship. So across those parts of our business, you know, we're in 22,000 clubs, gyms around the world. We work with, have around 140,000 Les Mills instructors around the world. And we've now got hundreds of thousands of paying monthly Les Mills on-demand subscribers. And if you look at that ecosystem, that's the thing that's really exciting. You know, we're a business that is not just focused in the B2B space, mm. but we actually span across business to business and also direct to consumer. And I think why that's important is I think any successful brand is ultimately going to have a direct to consumer relationship at some point. Yeah. And therefore, you can help curate your brand, your story, your product, and the experience that you provide customers 
And if you do that well, that plays back into your business-to-business relationship as well, and it helps you become better in that space too. So Les Mills is an international business founded in New Zealand that really has fitness at its heart. And I think what's most exciting about that is, you know, ultimately the customer needs we're looking to service as results in motivation. And if we can provide a product and a fitness experience that helps motivate you, get you out of your house or get you into that club or get you working out at home. And we can then also provide you the results through tried and tested science-based workouts. We definitely have a really exciting future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the brand. Um, I'm, uh, I used to do RPM classes. It's actually how I met my wife. So, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of good things to say about Les Mills as a, uh, as a fitness program. Yeah. And and the thing that's exciting is that, you know, when you're in an industry like fitness, there is just so much potential in terms of the positive impact you can have on people's lives. Yeah. And I think the thing that brings a lot of of our teammates to come and work at Les Mills, but also people that can connect with the brand around the world is actually what our bigger mission is, which is to create a fitter planet. Yeah. And if you think about what creating a fitter planet actually means, it's really about healthy people, healthy planet. Mm. And behind that, you need a really successful business to enable that. And I think businesses that can perform and drive real purpose in that space will be businesses that have a long-term successful future. And I think if you think about innovation, you know, one of the things that's most exciting, or I get most excited about with this business is, yes, we have 50 years history and heritage, but we're also really well-placed right now to shape the future of the industry and to be a part of that in a really positive way. Yeah, that's great. Can you tell me a little bit about going or expanding the business to the end user or the consumer or the customer? and sort of building that on-demand platform? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, like I said earlier, I think any business that can have a direct-to-consumer relationship is massively important to be successful. You'll see more and more businesses, I think, wanting to have a level of influence and control on that direct-to-consumer experience. Mm. So I think what it's allowed us to be able to do is really position the Les Mills brand or our Les Mills programs such as Body Pump or Body Combat, Body Balance, et cetera, in the way that we really want those programs to be positioned and consumed by customers. So the direct-to-consumer relationship is very much about, hey, how do you have a strong influence on the customer experience from end to end? How do you present your products in the most premium, optimal way? And then importantly, how can you build a strong consumer brand that also drives massive demand for your B2B business? And how do you create this ecosystem across business-to-business and direct-to-consumer with instructors playing such a critical part in that as well that helps you as a business to show up better because of the sum of all those parts. Yeah, that's cool. And Clive, how, how, did, it, how did your role change uh, going from CMO and stepping into the CEO position? Um, there's definitely been a lot of change and some of it's been deliberate because, you know, I've always had this ambition to be a CEO and it's been one of my goals on my personal purpose. And why it's an ambition is it's not about the title, actually. It's about the opportunity to have an influence on more people. 
Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, if you think back to my personal purpose, which is about leading and inspiring people to achieve great things and helping shape a team and a culture, you can absolutely do that as a functional lead, like a chief marketing officer for your function. But the scope and the ability to do that at scale suddenly takes a massive step up when you're in the CEO position. And that's what I've been most excited about. And if I think about, you know, I've been in the CEO role now for just over a year. That's the thing that I've really enjoyed most is getting out of my comfort zone of marketing. Yeah. Saying that, when I worked at Nike, you know, I did lots of other roles, functional roles in sales as well. So I've been able to work across marketing and sales for many years. So moving into a CEO position, you know, I think there's a really important need to have a clear focus on commercial outcomes. So not only are you driving brand results, you're driving brand outcomes, commercial outcomes, and people outcomes. And across all of them, I think in the CEO position, that's when you can really hit your sweet spot and drive a real concerted collective effort across the entire business to actually move that business forward positively. Yeah. So that's why the CEO position is something I've always really dreamt about. And what's interesting, if you look at my personal purpose, you know, I've had it on there for over seven years, the goal of becoming a CEO of a New Zealand business. Wow. And taking it from good to great. You know, like that is something I would love to be a part of. And I've got that opportunity right now. That's cool. That's cool to know that it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a seven year project or, well, you know, process. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been something seven. that's been an ambition for, for a long time, you know, and I think the opportunity then is what do you want to do with it and how yeah. do you make a positive influence? And so how, how do you think your background in marketing helps influence or shape some of the decisions you make in the CEO role? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important, actually. And I think it plays a big role. And I, and the reason I say that is I, I believe brand is everything that you do. So when you're in the marketing role or you're a CMO, yeah, you have this real sort of brand guardianship position and role. But if you think about brand being every single touch point that a customer might have with you and your business, mm-hmm. that really is important to see it as that ecosystem. And then moving into the CEO role is you have an opportunity, therefore, to make sure that you bring that same thinking and, I guess, approach to how you run the business. So making sure you're investing in the right things. It might not just necessarily be, say, marketing campaigns, but customer experience that might come through your call center or your customer support team or the experiences that your customers might be having on some of your digital platforms. And therefore, what does your capital expenditure roadmap look like to make sure that you're continuing to improve that? So I think it's about the opportunity to go, brand is everything that we do. Brand is about making your customers feel something. And they're going to feel that across so many different touch points, not just necessarily through the work that the marketing team does. Yeah. So I actually think people that move from marketing type positions into CEO or more commercial type roles, it's a great background and understanding to have. Yeah, I agree. And how how different is it going from companies like Nike and Spark to Les Mills? So companies that are huge, you know, huge global brands or huge brands, um, but, but Les Mills is a, is a fa- was a family-owned and operated or still is a family-owned and operated business. Still um, is, yeah. Yeah. How, how different is that change? I think there's things that are similar and I'll talk to some of those and then I think there's some things that definitely are different. And if I, if I break them out into that, I guess it helps give you that comparison. You know, yeah. the things that are the same is that you've got to try and influence and inspire people, whether that's in a corporate business or a business like ours, which is family-led, family 
you know, there's things that are around setting direction. I think any business, you need clarity on direction and you want to know what your goals are. And I think that's the same across both. And then there's this expectation that you lead and execute against that plan. And that's the same here in Les Mills as it might have been in Spark or Nike, which are bigger corporates. But I think the things that are different is that we're not a corporate and we don't want to be a corporate. So therefore, mm. let's make sure that we don't lose our entrepreneurial flair. Yep. Let's make sure that we don't lose the things that have helped us move fast and be quick and hustle hard to get great outcomes. And let's make sure we don't lose the innovation that we want to bring to our products. And I think if you put it through that lens, those are some of the things that become really important to stay successful because, yes, you need strong processes and, yes, you need to be able to drive great outcomes in terms of execution. But how you go about it, I think, feels quite different in a family-led business versus a big corporate. Mm. And there's so many positives with that. Yes, yeah. you still need to bring people with you. Yes, you still need to influence at the right level. But make sure that that entrepreneurial flair that you've got, the ability to move fast, like don't lose that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, is there a recent project that you'd like to discuss? You know, something that you've been a part or obviously been a part of um, and and had some great results from? Um. I think the thing that probably comes to mind, I don't know if you would call it a project, but it's this moment in life that we're living through right now. Mm. And, you know, if you think about the impact of COVID on people, on our lives, on our business, on the outcomes we're trying to drive, it has been the single biggest leadership challenge and the single biggest learning I've ever had. Wow. And I'd suggest it's been the single biggest challenge most people have had or will continue to have for some time. Mm. And therefore, what that creates is opportunity. You know, you look at that and you go, there are opportunities here that we didn't think we would have had six months ago. So how do we change our business? How do we change our mindset? How do we try and bring people with us to be ready to capitalize on that? Mm. So the thing that I feel like we're all living right now is how do you get through this moment? But I think what's important and what we've tried to bring to our business is let's not just try and get through this thing. Let's make sure we come out the other side of that whenever it might be in six, nine or 12 months time with real momentum. How do you come out in a gallop versus just a crawl? How do you make sure you're investing into the right things? How have you changed your business structure accordingly or brought your teammates with you or focused resource on things that you wouldn't have otherwise necessarily done six months ago? So in terms of a project, I'd say that's the real life project we're living right now. And while it's tough and definitely hard, it's also massively energizing. Mm. And I think that's the bit that is probably giving me personally the most energy right now is there are opportunities everywhere. Let's just make sure that as a business and as people, our head is in the game to capitalize on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And are there anything, is there anything on that in particular that you're able to, to share? Oh, I think the biggest thing is just how we've had to change our business really quickly. You know, our mm. core business, which was clubs and instructors, has and continues to be under pressure and will stay under pressure for quite some time. You know, it's really interesting because... I look at our China team, they went through this first in January, February. It feels like they're out the other side of it. And our core business in some of those regions starts to normalize pretty quickly. Yeah. But then if you then look to our other big markets of the US and the UK or Europe, 
they're still very much in it. You know, mm. it's talked about overnight that the UK, parts of the country in the north are most likely to go back into a lockdown. So therefore, what does that mean? What impact does that have on business and people there and therefore our business? So we've had to change our focus really quickly. And then our direct-to-consumer business, whether that be Lesmos On Demand or our equipment business where we sell weights and you know, barbells direct to customers, has just been on fire. Yeah, And it's catapulted us forward probably four or five years. So how do we capitalize on that? How do we lock in those opportunities? How do we build stronger connections with customers so that when we get back to some level of normality in the future, we don't lose some of those positive gains we've also had? Mm. And that's really where our focus has been. You know, we've got in underway what we're calling a recovery and growth plan. We've had that in play now for four months and it is our focus right now for the team for the next 12 months. You know, let's just keep the team focused on not only do we come through this moment of recovery, but we're also focused on growth to ensure, like I said earlier, that we come out of this moment with real momentum. Yeah, that's great. So Les Mills has a, a you know, a very devoted audience base, um, you know, the yeah. instructor network, uh, the relationship with the clubs, and now, you know, a growing relationship directly um, with customers. Yeah. But how do you nurture the existing base? And is that a challenge of nurturing the existing base while also attracting new people to the brand? Yeah, I think in any business that evolves and develops, it's a massive challenge, you know, because not only are you looking to acquire or bring new customers or people into your community, you're also looking to continue to engage strongly with existing customers. And quite often that's hard because those customers go through different life cycles. You know, some of them grow and get different interests and needs. Some of them move on to different stages in their life. So yes, it's a, it's a big challenge. And if you're a business that's been around for a long time, it's something you've got to be aware of. So, you know, I think how do you segment against your customer? How do you segment against their needs? How are you making sure you're providing the right product and therefore the right innovation to attract, you know, you know, be, be focused or at least appeal to the right end of the market. So millennials and Gen Z for us is absolutely where we want to be. Mm. We know that 80% of all customers coming into fitness, 80% of all people that are paying for fitness in some form are millennials and Gen Z. So therefore, how does our business stay relevant? And at the same time, like you said, you've had people that have been a part of the brand for quite some time. So how do you make sure you continue to appeal to them? And I think at some point, it's also about taking it beyond just product. Yeah. So if I was to try and answer that question simply, I'd say, hey, it's also about connection to purpose. Mm. So if our business is about creating a fitter planet, and at the core of what we do, we create life-changing fitness experiences, let's make sure those life-changing fitness experiences appeal to different market groups. Yeah. And let's make sure that we're really understanding of those market segments and therefore providing product, services, experiences, I guess, communications that are relevant to them and for them so that they can stay inspired and engaged. And I think when you're a business like us that has the ability to play across business to business or directly with instructors or direct to consumer, and you have multiple products across which you can do that, you have a real competitive advantage to make sure that you continue to not just bring new people into your brand, but you continue to engage and inspire existing customers. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And what are some of the challenges that you face in the work that you do? 
Um, challenges. I, I never really see things as challenges. I see them more as opportunities. Mm. And, and I'm quite deliberate with that word because I think if you can reframe it into an opportunity, it's got a, such a positive forward looking view to it. Yeah. So the opportunities that I think we presented with every single day is like, how do you continue to stay relevant in a market and an industry that's under pressure? Yeah. A market and an industry that's changing. I mean, think about the Apple Plus launch that happened yesterday. And yeah, that's just such a great moment for the industry and in that competition is awesome. It forces you to lift your game. It forces you to focus. But it also brings more attention to an industry that is so important right now. Mm. So I think new opportunities get presented every day. And I think the opportunity we therefore have as a Les Mills business is how do we stay nimble? How do we really respond to that? How do we stay relevant? How do you make sure that the product and the communication that you're putting out there is something that actually inspires customers to want to be a part of? And if you can take that lens through everything that might come up, that's the outcome you're looking to drive. And I think that's the bit that keeps you relevant. Yeah, that's cool. And, um, and do you have any predictions on what the future of fitness may look like? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's rocket science, personally. Um, everyone's talking about it. You know, the future of fitness is absolutely a digital ecosystem. But we personally believe that the live experience, whether that be in gym, in club, directly with instructors, is always going to be the pinnacle. Yeah. And what I mean by that is the ecosystem of fitness is, hey, you want to be able to work out and train wherever you are. So if you want a physical experience, you want to be able to go to your gym. But yeah. the gym also needs to take that experience outside of their four walls. So what is your digital ecosystem where you can offer, present, or really give customers choice across this integrated fitness solution? And that's the future is, you know, like base it around customer needs. That's how customers want to consume fitness. So therefore be a part of that. And I think as a business, we're really well suited to be able to do that. Mm. And that's the future, you know, like it's this ecosystem of fitness that is physical or digital that really is just something that as a customer you're inspired and connected to and want to be a part of. And I think the wanting to be a part of it is really important because yeah. every person out there right now is offering some level of digital experience. You know, you see thousands of new competitors come onto the platform or a platform every year. Yeah. So how do we continue to make sure that we win? And I think as a business, it's important to be clear on what you want to win with. Yeah. So for us, content is really mm. important. And we believe that content is going to be an important part of the future, whatever that digital fitness future looks like, because content allows you to win in the physical space, direct in the physical space, in a gym or directly with an instructor, but also online or also digitally. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it's rocket science to answer your question. I think there are a lot of people talking about it, and we very much lined up against that, and we just want to be that business that's playing an active part in helping shape that future because we believe we have the solutions and the offerings in place to be able to do that. Yeah. I like that you said, <clears throat> like, main, you know, uh, still, still, well, I like that you included the live experience as part of that still. Um, cause I do think that, you know, that, that group fitness, um, environment is hard to replace the feeling that you get after, you know, 
been absolutely smashing a workout yeah. and, and having, you, having a group of people around you yeah, yeah. That, have, that have gone through the same thing. And it's, it's, it's just a great, you know, there's some great happy chemicals that are sort of released in the brain, I think. Oh, there's just so many happy chemicals. You, you can't beat it. You know, mm. you, you really can't. And, you know, we, 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 we quite often look to the music industry as an example where, you know, most people now have a digital music subscription in some form. Yeah. But the attendance and the desire before COVID to live gigs and music festivals were at all-time highs. Yeah. And yes, it's been hammered right now. Any live experience with thousands of people is under pressure. But that will change. And in the future, we'll come back to some level of normality. And the reality with fitness is exactly the same. You know, people getting together in a group environment, the feeling that you just get, the endorphins you have that mm. just be are a part of that, you just can't beat it. Yeah. So we think live will always be the pinnacle, but it has to be complemented with this integrated fitness solution and digital plays a massive part in that. Mm. You mentioned before content is a huge, huge opportunity for you guys. How do you decide which content or which stories to share? Again, we bring it back to, you know, what are customers feeling or needing at that time? So if you think about the world right now, our club partners, what are they thinking and feeling and therefore what content is going to be most relevant for them? So we've got a, you know, a lot of work going on in that space. Instructors, you know, they're under so much pressure right now. How do we help them get back to teaching? How do we help them in the live experience? So therefore what stories do we want to tell in that space to inspire and also provide instructors with really meaningful assets and products so that they can get teaching again and do what they do best. And then in the consumer space, again, you know, customer needs. What are the things you're trying to service right now? How are customers feeling? What's happening in the world? And therefore, how do we turn up as a brand that's ready to best serve them? And that's generally the filter through which we put our planning and our work. Mm. I really admire what Les Mills do in terms of bringing instructors to the front. Um, you know, in your yeah. recent recent programs um, that just launched sort of uh, during lockdown, I noticed that, you know, you guys had instructors from all over the world sort of featured in the, in the workout releases. I thought that was really cool to, to sort of bring them as part of the, uh, the experience. I mean, instructors are such an important part of our team. Mm. We're, we're nothing without instructors and we're nothing without clubs. And like I said, this ecosystem, this chain linked model of these different parts of our business and how they come together. Instructors are key to that because it's all about connection. You know, instructors build connection with members, instructors build connection through clubs, community groups, they inspire them to achieve bigger things. So instructors for us are always going to be such an important part of who we want to try and do a good job for. And we'll continue to try and do a great job for. And, you know, I think the last six months have really shown you just how important evolving that instructor model in some form is so that instructors can stay doing what they love and how can we as a brand help enable that in some form. So, you know, we're looking to bring new innovations to market all the time. And I think the last six months have forced us to move on that pretty quickly. You know, we've moved all our instructor teaching to online, obviously, and we've seen some amazing results off the back of it. And we show that we can get more people through those modules and we can have the same level of connection and importantly, we can keep instructors teaching. Mm. So I think we're going to continue to see good innovation in this space. But yeah, to answer your question, it's important to make sure that instructors are front and center because they're such a key part of our team. Yeah. 
Are partnerships a big focus for you in um, you know different brand partnerships to align Les Mills with? And when doing that, how do you decide you know what other businesses sort of align to partner with, or what sort of businesses that you would partner with? I think partnerships have to be a part of your thinking strategically because if you look at how businesses are working together, how you work with another business that helps complement your offering and together you guys are stronger, that's where you want to play. So partnerships, whether that be in the digital space or in the physical experiences you want to bring to life, are going to be an important part of how we show up. And we've got so many partnerships across our business and we will continue to try and involve those. You know, we work really closely with Reebok. Reebok help bring our products to life in a way where we can represent our instructors up on stage dressed in a product that helps them feel great and connect mm-hmm. with instructors and consumer groups around the world. We've got a partnership with Polar in terms of connection and data and making sure that we're giving people the tools to help push themselves to a different level and track that along the way. You know, there's so many examples of things we do with different partners. We've got an amazing partnership with Stages in terms of a virtual bike that we've been able to bring to market and play in that business-to-business space. And if you look at partnerships and the way it will help complement what we do and how we might help complement what they do, if you can bring two like-minded individuals or businesses together and do a great job, the outcomes are just really powerful. Yeah. And, and customers benefit as a result of it. So I think that's the lens through which we want to put it. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. And it's probably something that, um, you know, we work with uh, a lot of small, smaller to medium-sized businesses. And it's probably something that, yeah. um, you know, businesses don't often consider is to, you know, it, at that size is to partner with other like-minded, um, you know, like-minded businesses. And, yeah, yeah. That, um, that can help complement their offering or, or their product. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a, a really cool thing. I mean, and I guess at your scale, like it's, it's a lot harder for Les Mills to develop a smartwatch, whereas it's better to, you know, find someone who's already got a, you know, brilliant product that, that sort of, and I think, sort of comp- I think how do you yeah, focus on what's, what you do best yeah. and therefore let your partner focus on what they do best and yeah. together, if you can come together to service an area that individually you might not otherwise have been able to do then collectively you'll be better for it. I think to your point about smaller businesses, you know, because I'm, I'm involved in different smaller businesses on a personal level with some of my family members. And I think the thing that comes to life or what I'm able to see when I go into those businesses, sometimes that doesn't happen just because people struggle to get out of the detail. Mm. And if you can't get out of the weeds, so to speak, and lift your head up and look forward, you don't necessarily see the value in some of these bigger, sometimes more strategic plays that at the time you might question, is it more important I put my time on that versus actually making my next sale? Yeah. And I think how do you create the space for people to work on their business versus in it, so to speak, to look to develop some of those partnerships, I think is where you can add massive value. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, mate, I'd love to chat to you a bit about uh, your personal life and, and maybe what yeah. you do outside of work. So what, what are the things that you do? Well, actually, firstly, what's your favorite Les Mills program? Uh, I'd say grit. Yeah, I just like cool. the variation and flexibility with it, but I also love the trip. You know, yeah. I think cycling programs too just give you such an awesome buzz. And if you think about the trip in terms of the content that we've also wrapped around it, yeah. 
it just is such a standout program and class. So I love that. I mean, to be honest, I do, I do most of them. Body balance is something I've been getting into a lot recently because of a lot of the other training I'm doing outside of the gym and outside of sort of home based stuff and yeah. trying to stay flexible and really sort of look after my body. So I think there's so many programs that I move in and out of, but first and foremost, I'd say grit. I did my grit um, instructor module training about a year and a half ago now. Yeah, and cool. Not that I ever planned to be an instructor, but I definitely wanted to go through the process to understand just how hard it is. And the great job that instructors do understand that a little bit more. So yeah, yeah you, when, you, when you try and understand some of those things, you actually also understand how you can connect better with some of your customer groups. Yeah, definitely. And it, I mean, it's so important for people in the business to go through, uh, you know, to use a test, uh, the different I guess the different products and, and training um, to experience it the same way that your customers would. Yeah, that was the intent. You know, I think you mm. learn a lot from it and you also become a better individual because of it. So yeah, I loved yeah. it. Absolutely cool. loved it. And so outside of Les Mills, what do you, what do you do as an escape? Oh, a big part I love about weekends is just spending time with the family. You know, my wife, Diana, I've got two kids, Georgia and Cooper, um, five and seven. And, um, you know, we moved back from living in Europe because we wanted our kids to grow up here in New Zealand. You know, New Zealand is home. I am from Africa originally, so I still obviously speak with a South African accent, but <laughs> New Zealand is home and this is where our family lives and it's where my mum is and where my wife's mum is. So, you know, being back in a country where we can spend more time with our family is important. Um, and, and I try and do a lot of things with and around the kids. Like I, I coach both of their football, soccer. So that's on the weekends. Oh, cool. And just spending quality time. Like something I've really struggled with over the years is making sure that I'm also really present at home. And I think when you have kids, you know, you have this awesome obligation, this awesome moment to really make sure that you can positively influence. And I think you've got to be deliberate about it. And how I try and look at that is, you know, I used to try and look at it in terms of work-life balance. And I actually don't think it's about work-life balance because I don't think you can get balance. I think mm. it's about work-life choices. Mm. How do you make the right choices at the right time to be present in whatever it is you're doing? So if you're yep. at work and you need to work hard because there's a big project on, then don't feel guilty about that. You need to do it and you might need to really overcommit. And then when you're at home, how do you make sure you're present and how do yep. you make sure you do a great job of that too? So family is a big part of it. And it's become more and more a part of really what helps clear my head and give me sort of great perspective. And then the other thing I try and do is, you know, I try and run a lot. Yeah. Um, running for me is definitely my mindfulness. It's that mm -hmm. moment where I can get out on a run and clear my head and yeah. just think. And whether that just be thinking about life or work problems, I always come back from a run with clearer thinking. Yeah. I, I always come back from a run feeling better mm. and definitely having a better clarity of thought. So training outside of what I'm doing day to day also helps me show up and be my best. And yeah. it's something that I've continued to try and invest in and actually more so now than ever because of the moment we're in, I'm really trying to double down on that. I want to ask um, back on, you know, making sure that you're present at home. Um, are there any things that you yeah. do? Are there any, uh, you know, processes that you do or, um, you know, is there any systems that you put in place? Uh, it sounds quite clinical, but to make sure that you're not distract distracted. I mean, it's something that, oh, I mean, yeah. 
I struggle with that. I think most people do, you know, you're always on, there's always that level of connection and people Mm. can always get hold of you. But I think it's about trying to understand the moments that are important. So I get home or try and get home every day to put the kids to bed and have dinner with them and read them a book and sort of do some of that stuff. And you can work again in the evening and after that. So I think just being deliberate about the moments or the times in the day where you can actually have a really quality experience is what I found works best for me. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And in terms of books, business books yeah. or podcasts, or are there anything like that that you'd like to recommend or that, that has had a great influence on you? Oh, there's a few. I mean, I, I love reading. I'm a really slow reader, so I don't necessarily get through a lot. Um, I try and listen, but I prefer to read. Yep. I think if there were some books I'd recommend, you know, one that's definitely had a really big impact, I would say, on my life and the personal purpose that I've shaped is this book called Search Inside Yourself. Yeah, and it was written by a Google engineer. So it can feel like, wow, a name like that, search inside yourself is a little bit fluffy. And what would you really get out of it? But it's all about self-awareness. And it's written by an engineer. So it's very much led to outcomes. Like yeah. what outcomes do you get from taking this approach? And I would highly recommend it to anyone. I've read it a couple of times. And yeah, cool. I keep going back to it because I think there's some real clear takeaways there. And it, it definitely helped me shape my personal purpose. Um, Another book that I loved was, it's called American Icon, and it's about the transformation of the Ford Motor Group Company and how they went through some of their darkest periods and then how a new CEO came in and really changed that business, family-controlled business, family-led business, the family still actively involved. And there's just some awesome similarities, I think, there for anyone that loves driving outcomes and businesses that have been around for a long time and maybe mm. gone through different stages and life cycles. And another book that I, that I read a while ago, it's pretty heavy, but it links back to purpose is this notion of man's search for meaning. Okay. And um, it's, it's a short book and it is quite heavy, but it definitely gives you perspective on what's most important. Yeah, cool. And, um, I would recommend that. And I'd say that the fourth one was one I, I read back in April. Um, while we were here in New Zealand, we're in, we're locked down and stuck at home for a while. And it was called, um, The Splendid and the Vile. And it was about Churchill through the Blitz and how he led at a really tough time for Britain mm. and how he inspired and how he delivered reality. And how he used his speeches to bring people with him at a time where people were really struggling and yeah, dealing cool. with some really confronting truths. And the role he as a leader needed to play through that time. Um, it was just fascinating, you know, the ability to be able to inspire but, but deliver really tough news. Mm. Uh, the ability to be able to sort of keep people's resilience up and be resilient as a leader. So, yeah, I, I love books where you can take something from it yeah, and where it not only inspires you but gives you some tangible things to also take away. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, mate, I mean, and that's something that um, thank you because you've done that uh, quite a lot throughout this interview or this podcast. So um, I think there's, I've got a, a few great notes here and, um, yeah, I'm excited to share it with, um, with our audience. So in no closing. Worries. It's been awesome, awesome chatting. <laughs> thank you. In closing, who's someone remarkable yeah. in branding mar- or marketing that you know that we should speak to? Uh, I'd say the person that comes to mind often is – 
an old boss of mine. And his name's Gino Fizzanotti, and he is still working at Nike, uh, based in the US. And he just had such a positive influence on my career, but also sort of decisions that I made. Um, he's a he's a big personality. He's a strong leader. He is amazing at marketing and um, you know brand management. And he is just someone that inspired me when I was working in the UK at Nike, working on football. And um, you know, he's definitely someone that I think had a meaningful influence on my life and my career. So he would be the person that would come to mind. Yeah, great. Yeah, we'd love to chat to him. Um, and what's your favorite quote or the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, the quote that I actually have with it, my personal purpose, that, um, that I love and would use often is this quote of, we are the ones that we've been waiting for. <laughs> and a lot of people have used it, but I think if you take the sentiment from it, it's, what are you waiting for? You know, don't look for someone else to tell you what to do. Don't look for someone to give you the permission to go or to tell you what to do. Just get after it mm. because, you know, you don't want to sit around waiting. The yeah. opportunity is now yeah. and you have that opportunity in your hands to actually move on and to get some progress against. And that is totally within your control. So what I love about it is that notion of, you can control so much. So mm. what are you waiting for? Just get after it and get it done. That's great. I love that. Thanks for sharing. And finally, where can people learn more about you? Um, I guess things like this. You know, I generally don't put myself out there too often. Um, you know, my, my social channels are few and far between. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, try and, I try and sort of spend time with, you know, great people such as yourself in terms of wanting to share different individual stories. So mm. stuff like this I, I do deliberately because I think that's an opportunity where people can learn. And also, you know, like I just love connecting with people. So if people wanted to get in touch and wanted to have a chat, like I would prioritize it because if you think back to my personal purpose, it's about leading and inspiring people to achieve great things. And a big part of that is connection. And people have things that quite often you can help provide a perspective on. Mm. And I think that perspective might help them look at things differently and therefore get a great outcome. So I guess to answer your question, I don't think there is one specific <laughs> place, but you know, any of your listeners, I'm sure they can connect back through you. And um, who knows? We'll see what the future looks like. Mate, that's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I've, uh, I've had a great time and learned a hell of a lot. So thank you. Absolute pleasure, Dan. Thanks for making the time for me and um, look forward to doing it again at some point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening to this episode of DSR Branding Presents. To learn more about the guests or the things discussed, head to our website, dsrb.com.au slash podcast. If you enjoyed it, please let me know and spread the word by sharing it with a friend. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. DSR Branding exists to inspire people to love what their work represents. I hope that this episode has inspired you to think differently.